0: to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion.
1: Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Hello everyone, and welcome to to everything a season, Lutheran Reflections through the church here. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight we're here for our fourth epiphany episode if uh, my memory serves me right.
1: It does on that point. <laughs> okay, good, good.
0: And um, as many of you know, we're field testing the lectionary for the Lutheran Missal project, uh, which is currently being developed. And so we have a variety of readings to choose from. We're actually going to focus on a reading for the fourth Wednesday after Epiphany tonight, which is Luke 9, uh, verses 57 through 62.
1: All right. Should we jump into that? Yep. let's do it. Okay. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those of my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God.
0: Great. Thank you, Pastor.
1: You're welcome. Kind of, they are some harsh words,
2: aren't they?
0: Yeah. Yeah, they are. I think a lot of people struggle with this section because it seems like these people are asking to do something reasonable or something good. And they seem well-intentioned, at least on the surface, they want to follow Jesus, right? Yeah. But, um, Jesus kind of gives them this harsh rebuke and tells them not to do these things to follow him right away
1: it, it it's 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 a harsh rebuke, but it's is it is he rejecting them? I think might be the question right
0: Okay, that is a good question
2: right' a question
0: as as many people know, we commonly look for an extra biblical reading to add on to our broadcast, and as we were prepping for this most of the church fathers and the Lutheran commentators as well uh, took Jesus to be kind of rejecting these people here. You know, they said these people didn't realize what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, or they were unwilling to give up these sort of earthly ties they had to their family and to their home. And so Jesus is rejecting them and saying, you know, you, you can't follow me Uh, Unless you do these things and you're not willing to do these things. And that's kind of the the end of it.
1: And one of the commentators even uh, assumed that one person who um, was offering to follow Jesus was trying to aspire to an office uh, maybe of an apostle who wanted maybe the glory. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was one of Cyril of Alexandria's points that maybe this is a teaching about uh, needing some sort of divine call in order to be an apostle and this guy didn't have a divine call. He was actually asking for the office to be conferred on him without being called by Jesus. And uh, he kind of took this as a lesson against people trying to usurp an office that they're not called to, which that's another interesting interpretation and probably not one that we would go to right away uh, when, when reading
1: this. And even aspiring to an office, is different than trying to usurp an office and mm-hmm. you know, it, it gets a bit complicated. But can we can we jump to that other section of, of Luke, Luke 14, starting at verse 25, and just to sure kind of it, it's it's further on in the book of Luke, but I think it gives us some some good insight. And it's also a section that um, most of us most of us are, are familiar with. Luke fourteen, twenty five to thirty three says, No, great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That changes it a little bit, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it definitely, I think, adds some context here and gives us some idea of what Jesus might mean when he says
1: these things. It, 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 it's, it, it seems extreme, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure people have the same sort of reservations with the verse you just read uh, as with the verse for tonight. This idea that um, Jesus is saying we need to like hate our family members as like a precondition for following him. Obviously, this strikes people as being harsh.
1: Well, yeah, and, it, and it, it goes against that commandment that you're to honor your father and mother, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, exactly, right.
1: Yeah, So it seems kind of weird. Now, bear in mind that, that so often our Bible friends and Jesus speak in extremes. Mm-hmm. They exaggerate. Right. I mean, they exaggerate. Yeah, they exaggerate to make a point. Right. So we could say by comparison... Yeah, we should hate our family members in comparison to how much we love Jesus.
3: Right. Yeah. And of
1: course, bearing in mind the fact that we love him because he first loved us. Mm -hmm. It's not some good work in us that we love God and other people don't, blah, blah, blah. No. We love him because he first loved us and impressed upon us his great love. That's why we love him. Right. So in comparison to our love for Jesus, it is as if we did in fact hate our family members and sometimes we desert them. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what Jesus is asking people to do here, isn't it?
3: Right.
0: Yeah, it seems so. Right. This is kind of, so the, the Luke 9 passage seems to me to be sort of like a practical application of the section that you just read about hating your family. Like, what does that look like in practice when it comes to following Jesus? Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Here's some examples of what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here, right. here it is where the rubber hits the road uh, that, no, you're not, don't do that. Right. Don't do that. Let, let I'm going to put that back up on the screen again because it's a rather fascinating bit of scripture. The, someone comes up to him in verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go. So he initiates this idea. Mm-hmm. Jesus responds with Foxes have holes and birds there have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Mm-hmm. Now, we do not picture Jesus as being a homeless person. Um we don't picture him as being a pauper. It's it's not it's not that. Um, right, we
0: we actually have a listener submitted question along those lines. If you if you oh. want to address that now or we can save it to later, it's up to you.
1: No, great time to address it.
0: So what? one of my good friends, uh, Larry, who's also a Reformed Baptist pastor, uh, sent us this question. And so Larry was asking, with Jesus' statement, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is this to be taken that Jesus was essentially homeless, or is there something in the context of the passage that may be, may be missing Jesus' point here? So Larry, right. thank you for that question. That's a good question.
1: No, it's a great question, and, and sometimes we have to think about that. Uh, but no, he wasn't. First off, um, you know his his stepdad uh, was a carpenter. Jesus had would have learned that trade. He had a home. He grew up in a home. Then he starts his ministry. But in his ministry, people were taking care of him, and he would stay in people's homes or camp out, depending. But but the the group had enough money where they actually needed a treasurer. Right. Now that didn't go well, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they did have enough money where they needed a treasurer. And and on occasion, they would give to the poor out of their, of what they had. Right. So he, he so, wasn't like an indigent, he wasn't homeless, he wasn't a pauper, he wasn't poor, He but he had people taking care of him.
0: Right. So So is it true that like during Jesus' ministry, he was traveling most of the time and like he didn't have a permanent... Resting and, place, right.
1: And and that's the point. And some yeah. would even proffer that even when he was at, at in his hometown, that he wouldn't have stayed uh, in his mom's house, that mm. he was busy. He was busy mm. doing things.
0: Right. But perhaps more to the point, so I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesus' point in saying that wasn't so much that he doesn't have like a permanent dwelling, but rather um, he was trying to emphasize that you're not going to get any sort of temporal gain by becoming my follower, right? Like look, right. I, he's saying not even I have a permanent resting place. Like I don't I don't have a home that I own. And so you better be prepared to be homeless as well in some sense,
1: right? Right. And 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 some of this does carry on uh it it's it's kind of a balance. Um pastors shouldn't be lovers of money. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, but then again, we're expected to have a family too. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's kind it's kind of hard. Uh, you look at what Apostle the Apostle Paul went through, and you know, um, he was thankful for being single, though he he was probably a widower. Being a Pharisee, he probably would have been married. Hmm. He was probably a widower, um, and but he was alone, so that he could travel. And we know the hardships that he went through shipwrecks and imprisoned and stoned and all that stuff. That it isn't an easy life to be a follower of Jesus. Right. That and one of my professors many years ago said, "Look, we do people a great disservice by painting the life of a Christian as being all, you know, wine and roses." Right. It's it's not that.
3: Right. It's not that.
0: Yeah, and and that was kind of my other question with this passage. So like it seems that so our typical reaction I think when someone says they want to follow Jesus, is oh great, and we, we give them all the encouragement in the world, and we we want them to do that, right? Um, we are not typically of the mind to say, oh well, you you better realize what you're in for here. Like, are you sure you really want to follow Jesus? It's going to be hard. We we don't typically do that, and I don't know. Maybe that's like a fault in us. Uh, maybe maybe we ought to do something like
1: that, um, or at least have the people read what Jesus said about building a tower. Or going to war.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's, war- I mean, that that's a very strict warning. Don't start to do something if you can't finish it. Right. And that's what this is. Right. Uh, and, and he tells this person who, who offers, I will follow you wherever you go. Fox have holes and birds there have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Right. So if you're going to follow me, that's going to be your life.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so... Yeah, maybe that is one of the central teachings of this passage is that um, we need to be aware of the sacrifices that we might be called to make to follow Jesus. And it, it's I think most Christians in the West don't have that sort of mindset, at least by default. Because to be honest, we don't sacrifice very much, especially in comparison to some of the Christians who were actually persecuted for their faith oh, here in the we, West.
1: We suffer nothing, maybe a little ridicule and, and dismissal by society. But but back in the days when when people used to write checks, do you remember what those are?
2: Mm-mm.
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes, of course,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe you don't. People used to, well, you'd go to the grocery store and you'd write a check for the groceries, okay? Yes, yes. But back in, the, back in those days, people used to have little... Fish symbols on their checks, or a cross, or something like that. That that it was, you know, there was it was a, it was a, a quiet witness. Mm-hmm. So you know, in our society, still, you're you're we're not stoned because because we're a Christian. We're not right. ridiculed. We're not kicked out of town. And and, and 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 in many places, it's it's chic to be a Christian. Yeah, socially, you know, like you're in the more of the Bible Belt than I am. Uh, yeah, and it's it's socially acceptable. For for you to be a Christian and talk about your faith and your church and things like that. Right. Yeah.
0: To some extent it's with some things, it's getting more difficult as the culture shifts, but by and large, like we're not like, you know, homeless because we follow Jesus. Right. We, we still have everything we need and we live relatively comfortable lives. And so like, I think it's for most people, this idea of having to sacrifice a great deal to follow Jesus (sighs) might feel kind of foreign.
1: Odd. And then you, know, you get these words of, you know, hating your father and mother and things like that. It, it, yeah. it, it doesn't seem to, to click.
0: And, okay. then, and I mean, that's another thing. Some people have a greater burden to bear, especially with regard to their families than others. Like obviously for some people being a Christian does cause a severe rift in their family and you might have to have really difficult conversations with your family members. Um, and And there are some hardships that can come up when the faith of your parents doesn't align with your faith, right? Right.
1: I mean, I'm, I'll just take that off the screen a second. So the whole notion of um, people who live in some countries, if they if they turn to Jesus, if they start to follow, their their life can be in jeopardy, and they can be yeah. killed for being a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And that we we just we're not used to that. That's right. so foreign to us. So. Maybe someone who's, who's from a country where Christians aren't welcomed, or aren't accepted, aren't allowed.
2: Maybe
1: mm-hmm. they can relate to this better than you and I can, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And to them, it would make sense. Yeah, okay, I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my job because I profess Christ. Right. I'm going to lose my life, possibly, because I profess Christ. Right. We don't have that here. That,
3: that's true. And,
0: and maybe a more relatable application of this text for most people uh, in the West, is there is a lesson here that we ought not cling too tightly to earthly things, especially when those things detract for where we are, are called to follow Christ. And and something I do see, I think fairly often, is that if someone loses something or someone very dear to them uh, in their life, that can turn them bitter towards God. And I, I do think Perhaps that is because of like a sort of inappropriate clinging to earthly goods, including even loved ones. Like someone loses a relative or, or even like a child. Um, like I've seen people turn very bitter towards God uh, as a result of that. And, and don't you think that is sort of a practical application of this text? We, we are called to uh, love God um, unconditionally, regardless of what he gives us in this life and not cling too tightly to even our family in that respect. And, uh, maybe that's something that more people can relate to here in the
1: West. First, first commandment. Yeah. Your love and trust in God above all things, right. You should have, you shall have no other gods before me. And, and that, that can include not having other people that you put ahead of God. Right. And, and that, and that's kind of gets us into the, the next one, uh, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Mm hmm. And I always thought this was a harsh response of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now there, so this person knows enough to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So he knows the gospel message. Hmm. And the idea of let the dead bury their own dead, obviously he's talking about spiritually dead people.
3: Right. right?
1: Because dead people can't, physically dead people can't bury anybody.
3: Right, right. Yeah.
1: So let the dead bury their own dead. He's talking about those who are spiritually dead. They're 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 lost. You have a gospel to proclaim which gives life. That's more important, right, than trying to fix something that you can't fix.
3: Right. Right.
1: So it's not as harsh as it as it seems, is it?
3: Yeah. Well,
0: well, yeah. It's, it's still harsh. um it's still hard. Like it's still a difficult teaching, right? Um it is, and, but what he's
1: telling people is that proclaiming the gospel is more important than engaging in some ceremonies that have no hope.
3: Yes, right, Just
1: right. He's directing people to look towards towards hope, to look towards him, and not to dwell on, on, on death, on right. spiritual death.
0: And don't you think, though, this is also a teaching of, like, the sort of hierarchy of, of commands that we're given? So we are commanded to honor our father and mother, And I think like normally, uh, giving our parents a proper burial and funeral when they die is a part of honoring them. Right. And so there does seem to be some sort of teaching here that, uh, following God has to come even before these other duties that we ordinarily would want to fulfill.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean it. It does, and that's why this one seems really harsh. You know, let the dead bury their own dead. It seems rather harsh. You just ignore your your deceased parent, um, but at some level they're gone, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and the priority here is to proclaim the kingdom of God, right? But it does it does come up as harsh. But you're absolutely right. It's a priority, a prioritizing of basically the Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, the, the first one's still the first one, right? And we have to we have to keep that in mind. So. But it's, it, that, it, it, go ahead.
0: That's something I think that people might struggle with as far as practical application. Um, how do we balance keeping these other commandments that we are obligated to, such as honoring our father and mother, when that conflicts with uh, honoring God in some way, right? Yeah. Um, that's it, it, that's it, a not. really tough thing, especially if you have parents who aren't believers. Like you you want to honor them in the things that you do and say, but um If they aren't believers, there are going to have to be like specific boundaries or potentially sacrifices that you make. And there are things that you do that they're not going to like that they might feel (laughs) dishonored by even.
1: Well, especially if they are one religion and you becoming a Christian basically means that they're going to disown you. Exactly. Right. Which does happen. Right. Um, And here's this tension in which we live by trying to ascertain in the moment how God wants us to behave. Yeah. And in some ways, I'm kind of relieved that God didn't give me a script for every moment of my life. But he wants us to wrestle with these things and, and come to a, a conclusion that is God-pleasing and doesn't offend others. And part of the problem here, well, is that we talk about, um, you know, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do unto me. Mm-hmm. So we often feel as though serving other people and taking care of them is, in fact, serving God. Which, in many cases and places, it is. Right. We, yeah. I've just muddied the waters. I haven't cleared them up. <laughs>
2: yeah. Right. right. That's yeah. part
1: of the part of the muddying. So. Okay. Now here we have another one in verse sixty-one. Yet another said, "I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home." So here's another person offering um, offering himself to. F- you know, in service to the ministry, mm-hmm. but he wants to he wants to go say farewell to those at home. What what does that entail? What does that mean? Is it traveling? Is it is it just that they're around the block and he wants to say goodbye and not be rude? It seems right. like it's more than that. He, he wants to have a, a farewell. He wants to go spend time with them. Mm. And Jesus' response: anybody looks back, it's you know puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Obviously, if you're trying to plow a field and apparently the you know the hand steered plows of yesteryear that were drawn by oxen or other beasts of burden were a little finicky mm-hmm. and you you had to pay attention to what you were doing yeah you had to focus otherwise you're going to be moving into a different furrow and you're going to mess things up
2: right
3: right so
1: so that's the point you got you, your attention needs to be focused on on Jesus
0: right and I think it was Cyril again, Cyril of Alexandria, who kind of related this back to Lot's wife, the looking back.
1: Oh, version. yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. She broke that command to not to don't look back.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting parallel there as well. Right.
1: Yeah. Looking back. And a lot of us look back and we have regret. We, Why did we do this? Why? What am I doing now? Should I still be doing this? We, we you know, we're like a ship tossed to and fro by every wave and wind, right? hmm Right. But part of what I find some comfort in these words of Jesus, part of the comfort I find is that he's giving them a word of law.
3: Right. I,
1: I would categorize these statements as pretty much law. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Certainly. So we we have a, a saying that the law is the handmaiden to the gospel. Mm-hmm. I, I always I always talk about why why was Jesus so harsh with those Pharisees why did mm-hmm. he call them whitewashed tombs outside they look nice but inside they're full of men's rotting bones why was he so harsh to them because he loved them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he wanted to convince them of their wrong spiritual condition right because he wanted them to turn and and follow him right so here too with these three examples that don't don't necessarily seem to be chronologically... Um, one after the other. Uh, although in Luke chapter 10, we get into the sending out of the 72, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. But that, that's a good point. It does seem unlikely that these things like happen one right after the other, right? Maybe Luke was, um, you know, Compiling. kind of categorized. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's okay. He does it for a reason. Luke's very methodical and, and very, very good at, at writing, at putting this together. So if Jesus is giving them this word of rebuke, and he's got a purpose. Mm-hmm. He, that Jesus' words were powerful words. They were effective words. They were meaningful words. And these people knew Jesus, one to follow him, one he to offer to follow him, one he calls to follow him. When he speaks these words, they would have had some effect on the hearer. Hmm. We, we talk about the, the rich young ruler, who, you know, Jesus tells him to go sell what he has and and give to the poor and all that, and the guy goes away because he's sorrowful because he had many possessions. But is that the end of the story
0: with him? Well, there it kind of seems like
1: it, but I guess we don't know for
0: sure, right? I mean, it's perhaps he went away sorrowful and then came back and repented. It doesn't say that, but maybe. Well,
1: maybe, maybe he was sorrowful because... He was going to go sell his possessions. <laughs> I mean,
0: Maybe, yeah. I that, yes. that
1: that thought's been in my head that he was sorrowful because he knew what he had to do. He knew what he had to do.
3: Right. And
1: I mean, who wants to joyfully go get rid of everything they've worked for for the last twenty years? Yeah. I mean. I mean, that's true. Uh, yeah. And and, and Jesus' directive words to him, they would have had an effect. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, Jesus, yeah. And if he proclaims law to then give the healing balm of the gospel
0: it could be now jesus after that does launch into it's more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through an eye of the needle right
1: yes and so but but but, follow that down though well, who who then can be saved? Well, with man it's impossible; with God, all things are possible.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so that's true.
1: You got It's always this balance, and that's the beauty of having a very good understanding of the relationship and the proper usage and distinction of law and gospel. Yes.
0: Right. And so, so this is a good point. So, all of the commentators we read for tonight, all of the early church fathers, and the the uh, reformers as well. Took this as a sort of rejection, like Jesus was rejecting these people because of their attitudes towards their earthly goods that they were clinging on too tightly. But you're suggesting that perhaps this wasn't a rejection. Perhaps Jesus gave them this teaching, and they kind of corrected their ways and ended up following Jesus after he had given these teachings. Is that what you're saying?
1: I, in my mind, because that's the only one I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> A, a rejection would have been eh, go away. Mm-hmm. you know not if he a rebuke is a lot different than a rejection. Yes, right uh, you've got children. you will rebuke them. you will correct them. You're not going to reject them right right And that now granted, I don't know the mind of Jesus. Was he telling them they weren't fit to be his disciples in respect to following him and proclaiming the gospel? Was he telling them that they weren't good enough to be saved? No, I think he was trying to correct their behavior and correct their thoughts so that they would do the right thing that he would, of course, enable them to do. Hmm. So a rebuke is different than a rejection. The commentators mm-hmm. were looking at at these as being words of Jesus rejecting the right right and I'm looking at them more a, a rebuke which Jesus but, rebuked the, the, the 12.
0: Oh yeah yeah, no doubt frequently. So, so why do you think that is? Why do you think all the commentators chose to interpret this as a sort of rejection and they all of them kind of assumed that these people went away no longer being a disciple of Jesus. That seemed to be the assumption there.
1: Yeah, part of it is that we as Christian people tend to be very judgmental. And it's also um, this thing in man that we want to we well we, we want to be better than others, mm. and if we think we're a little bit better than others, we don't want others to have what we have. Mm. We, C- we yeah, C.S. Lewis said that we are so sinful that we rejoice a bit even when loved ones fail.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Think about right. that for
1: a minute. And, and 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 you've had that. You've had we we've all had those kind of thoughts. We we revel in our siblings' failures, right? Or you know, if they fall and whatever, you know. CS Lewis had great insight that we we revel in our loved ones' failings. Hmm. So, at some level, I think that these the commentators were reveling in, oh, look at those people. They weren't good enough and kind of being judgmental, a little holier than thou which we Christian people have the tendency to do way too much.
0: Right. No, it's true. Putting the best construction on things, the way I interpreted their remarks was that perhaps they were assuming that Jesus wouldn't give a harsh rebuke if these people were well-intentioned. So like, uh, especially on the part of, we, we read a Philip Melanchthon, um, quote in preparation for tonight. Um, when I read that, I got the impression that if someone with pure intent said that they wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus would know that they wouldn't need that rebuke. He would just say, okay, yeah, come follow me. Right. Whereas, um, he seemed to think that Jesus would have to have perceived some sort of malicious intent in order to give these
1: rebukes. And, yeah, and perhaps or, there's
0: something to that. Or um, weakness.
1: And Jesus, you know, Jesus knows people's hearts. Yes. Right. But see, I look at that as okay. He sees their weakness, and so he addresses it yeah. with with the hope of correcting them to get them back on the right path. Right. Not I mean, judging a good them. Point. Yeah. Not judging them and rejecting them.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That, so, that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, it's. I, I don't know. I, I I find that we as Christian people have a tendency to dismiss others a, a little too easily, mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. too quickly. And part of that, I guess, is protection for ourselves that we like to think of ourselves as being better or more value than others. Right. Um, you know, it, uh, it's a story, you know, pastor tells a story. One time he dressed up like a homeless person and sat outside his church and people ignored him as they walked into church because he looked all scruffy and scrumbly mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and then he walks into the church still looking like the homeless person, but then takes the overcoat off and he's their pastor. Right you know, it, uh, yeah, we, we dismiss others just a bit too quickly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And I I also wonder if, um, these commentators were trying to drive home the law aspect of this. Like we we said, this primarily is a teaching on the law, right? This isn't so much gospel. No. And so by emphasizing their sort of condemnation, even if they don't know, that these people actually were condemned after this. Yeah. Um maybe they're just trying to drive home the the law point uh, more poignantly, but but you make a good point. Perhaps they do that at the neglect of emphasizing the gospel element here.
1: Yeah, and and that's always a problem for the for the for the every Christian person, how do you apply law and gospel? How do you like I would never think of saying the, these type of words to someone. These kind yeah. of words to someone. Like but but Jesus the the greatest teacher leader healer etc he knew their hearts and he knew what they needed right he could have simply said i mean he could have simply said go away mm-hmm. but he doesn't he right he doesn't he gives them direction he tells them what the right thing is to that the right thing to do right and i think we have to go back to that building the tower or waging war that you know count the cost folks right it's not always easy and and wine and roses to be a follower of jesus Right. And it surely wasn't for his his apostles.
3: Definitely. That was tough. Very hard.
0: Now, maybe we can end by talking about like a sort of practical application. So we, we kind of briefly touched on how our response to people saying they want to follow Jesus might differ from how Jesus reacted here. So like maybe from a, a pastoral perspective, how do we balance not scaring people away from the faith and saying, hey, this is going to be hard. You don't want to do this. Uh, with, you know, kind of informing them of the reality that Christianity ultimately is a religion where you're called to make sacrifices, uh, in certain circumstances. It's What's the balance nothing. here? How? Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: All or, it, and this is the heart of what Jesus is saying is it's all Jesus or it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Now you right. ask the question, how can we relate that to people in today's society who come to the church or take instruction or yeah, when you're sharing the faith.
0: What should our response be? Like how do we walk that sort of balance?
1: That fine line. Um, it's we love him because he first loved us and when we start to realize the enormity of Jesus' love it puts everything else into a different perspective. Mm-hmm. It changes how we view the world. It changes how we view other people. And if, and if we are to put jesus first as we are to do then then we need to inform people very clearly that that may not always go well in personal relationships right. or or business relationships you're into this all the time with with people in business who who are christian who want to be ethical and they run into business partners or associates who who don't care about mm. those ethics Yeah, and that can be very difficult, um, very difficult in life, in business, uh, sometimes in family. There are, you know, multiple stories about one person coming to faith, but their spouse hasn't. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you, how do you walk that line while you know your your spouse thinks you're an idiot for following Jesus?
3: Right, and
1: sometimes that happens. Yep. Okay. It's there's ridicule, there's concern about finances, time, all that stuff. It's not always easy to be a Christian. But if we highlight the benefits of Christianity, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the fellowship of believers, the peace that passes all of our human understanding, that 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 prize, if you want to call it that, just outshadows anything that we may have to give. Right. It. Right.
0: No, that's a great point. So like don't don't sugarcoat the reality of it, but at the same time, you can still emphasize what you Blessings. gain from following Christ. So instead Spiritual. of emphasizing like Jesus what what Jesus is saying these people need to give up in order to follow him uh, we also need to be clear about what these people gain by following Christ right
1: yeah it's the greatest gift. it's the the great the greatest greatest gift any person can possibly have is faith in Christ mm-hmm. right because there your sins are forgiven, you are promised a blessed eternity. you have the presence of the Holy Spirit now you have the uh, the company of fellow believers. And that far outweighs anything that you may give up. This is—we're right. here for a brief moment; eternity awaits us. Right. And in Christ, it's a blessed eternity. Right. With Him and all of our fellow believers. Indeed. Priorities and 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 contrasting, contrasting what's important to you, we need to think about that. What's important to us? How do we how do we balance that? How do we view that? Right. And again, it's always God first. Right. Yep. Absolutely, okay. yep okay well let's uh, let's wrap up well sounds good okay I have a call Do you you have us? A, yeah okay then we bow our heads and pray.
0: Almighty God, because you know that we are set among so many in great dangers that by reason of the weakness of our fallen nature we cannot always stand upright. Grant us your strength and protection to support us in all dangers and carry us through all temptations through Jesus Christ your Son our Lord,